0: You're listening to Hebrews, Jesus is Better series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given. We thank you for what we've heard and experienced thus far, for the special music, the scriptures that have been read, the songs that we have sung Lord, also appropriate with the topic that we'll face this morning. And Lord, I am well aware of where we're headed this morning, the seriousness of the topic and the sadness of the topic. And yet for the believer, we're filled with great hope because we know that we have a risen Savior. And because he lives, we will live as well. And so, Father, I pray now that as we've assembled here together, um, for our guests, our friends, our church family, that you'd give us ears to hear. I pray that we'd be in tune with what you're doing in our midst. That our hearts and minds would be open to your spirit. Lord, that we would receive what you have for us today. Lord, I know there are hurting hearts this morning. I know there are happy hearts this morning. um, And you know all hearts. And so, Lord, do for us what we cannot do. Speak to the hearts. Lord, change, mold, shape, correct, chasten, encourage. Do your work today. Lord, we love you. We pray above all that Christ would be magnified through all that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 2 this morning is where we will be. Hebrews chapter 2, let's read verses 9 through 18. We're just going to spend a little time here this morning, and, and then in two weeks we'll finish up this section. There's so much here. It's literally packed with truth. But listen to the pastor as he speaks to these Hebrew Christians suffering Weary, worn, and ready to quit. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise Took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For, in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to help them that are tempted. This is an unusual service, actually, for us. At the end of the year, we take time to honor those who we've lost this year. And so, I will take a moment to read the names that have been submitted, but I full well know there are more names that could be on this list. I saw the St. Jeans here this morning. I thought of Jacob. I saw you come into the church. And so even names that are not on this list, we remember as we close out our year. Gene Van Veen, Phil Williston, Marion Bully, Pat Swain, Rod Baker, Diana McCausland, Larry Conway, Lynn Eckerd, Bill Allen, Diogo Lobo, Norris Graham, Janie Burgraff, Dave Ridge, and Gord Miller. And yet there are more as we've come to the end of this year. It is a sober time to read those names and to think and remember. And this is a sober time to reflect uh, this time of the year right? We've just finished the holidays, and again, for some, joyous. For others, not so much. The end of a year, as we reflect 2019 gone, who would have believed, right, as a kid, 2020? That was like space stuff, right? That we would have never believed we would see those dates, and here we are. And so, even the thought of the holidays and the new year and reflecting. For me, it tends to be a little bit melancholy, to be honest with you. When we were kids, we would gather together at my Aunt Carol's house, and there was always a Christmas party there. And, and you have to understand my family. Um, for some folks, they grew up their whole lives not knowing of death and tragedy until they're in their 40s or 50s. They never lose anyone. My mother has three suicides on her side. My dad has two on his. And I have a cousin who was murdered. So we knew of death. We knew of sorrow. And yet we'd gather together and we would be at my aunt's house, all the cousins, all the family. And the Christmas music was playing, right? And some of it was ridiculous. Grandma got ran over by the reindeer. Who cares? It's weird. I don't understand it. You know, Jingle Bell Rock, one of our all-time favorites as kids. And there was these songs that we would hear and listen to. And one that played every year was Happy Christmas by John Lennon. And for me, one of the most depressing songs in the world. You know it. It says this. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over. And a new one just begun and it was just and then it goes on to say and so this is christmas for weak and for strong for rich and the poor ones the world is so wrong merry christmas right yeah it's 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 heavy and and so this morning i am fully aware of the tone of the service today it is sobering, it is sad, and it's serious. And so I'm asking you that you please stay with me. In your thoughts, in your sadness, in your reflection, please stay with me. Because the topic of our text in verse number 15 is this, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. I want to spend some time this morning speaking about the fear of death and the bondage it brings. And, And what I find fascinating, actually, is again, without planning in God's providence, we are in Hebrews working our way through. And this is the day, this is the service that we reflect on those we've lost. And this is our text this morning. There are no accidents. Death. Mike Mason says this, and I, I found this quote um, powerful and scary and thought-provoking. He says, all our lives are like the unfolding of a murder mystery. All of our lives, the unfolding of a murder mystery in which we ourselves turn out to be the victim. You get that? Our whole life is like reading a mystery, and at the end of the book, guess what? We're the victims. Because unless the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries his coming, we will all be the victims. And the truth is, there is a real fear of death. The pastor who is writing to Hebrews understands this fear of death. And it's real. And there, there are a number of reasons why humanity fears death. Some, it's, it's because of the idea of pain and suffering. That, that what will this feel like when I go through this journey? Will it be painful? Will I suffer through it? Others, it's the unknown. Like, we've not been on the other side. I, I was listening a couple years back to a contemporary artist. I don't know who it was, but they were asking him, hey, what do you think about death? And he's like, death. I'm not afraid of death. I've never done it before. Why should I be afraid of something I've never done before? Isn't that the whole idea? <laughs> that things we've never done before are terrifying? I mean, if I do something simple that I've never done before, my hands start to sweat. And I'm talking about, you know, parallel parking which I don't do anymore. Just find a different space three blocks away. But, but that gives me fear, let alone something that big and that final as death. For some, there is a fear of death because of separation from what we know and who we love. Right? Because this is all we know, what we see, what we feel and what we experience. For still others, the fear is in non-existence. That that there are those, our atheist friends, who say, hey, when you die, you die like a dog, and that's it. And somehow, that's to bring them comfort. There is no comfort in that. That this is it. No purpose, no meaning, a bag of molecules, you live, you die, it's done. It's fearful, actually. And you can try to be bold and embrace it, that there's nothing left. It's foolishness. And it's just dead wrong. And then there's the idea of eternal punishment. There must be a day of reckoning, right? There must be. I mean, we look at the world, we look at the great Villains of our time and the past, and we say, There must be judgment coming. There's so much injustice that we see and experience. If there's a heaven to gain, there must be a hell to shun. And again, our culture is so screwed up. Years ago, it was, it was um, very popular to wear t shirts where people were judging, and they say, Only God judges. That's terrifying. That the eternal God of heaven who knows everything I've ever done, who is perfect, holy, and just, will be the one in the end that I stand before? He's the one that's going to judge me? I don't get off the hook by saying that. It should shake me to my core. So there is fear of death and a lifelong bondage to it. Now notice how the pastor... Encourage these Hebrew believers as, number one, they are suffering. This is not, hey, church in Rome, you might eventually suffer. They are suffering. And, of course, they're going to die a natural death. Everyone does. But they are looking at possibly being persecuted and dying an early death for their faith. And I want you to see the two things that he brings to light for them. That gives them hope. Right? So again, stay with me, because I know right now, it's not very hopeful <laughs> at all. But here's what he reminds the believers. Number one, he reminds these believers, and he reminds us this morning, that Christ Jesus radically identifies with us. Look at verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That term, flesh and blood, it's interesting. Um, We use this. If you've ever been frustrated with your spouse, your children, or maybe at work, and you say, I'm just flesh and blood. What you're saying is, I am weak, I am frail, I am human. And what the Bible is telling us is that Jesus Christ radically identifies with us. He shares our flesh and blood. This is what we've been talking about for weeks now in the incarnation. That baby in Bethlehem was no ordinary baby. It was God incarnate robed with flesh. He identifies with us. Now, the incarnation is really important. Really important. And it's important for at least two reasons. Okay, so so here's the first idea behind identifying with us, flesh and blood, the incarnation. The ultimate end of it is to save us, right? When we talk about this baby in a manger, we understand he didn't stay in the manger. This is a cute baby Jesus. Someone put a mint on him. Isn't that's like blasphemous? I don't know who did that but I'm going to save the mint for later. He'll go back there. All right? But we know this is not it. He was born. We talk about Bethlehem, but you cannot speak about the baby in Bethlehem without going to the hill in Jerusalem. That's why he came. And the word of God is clear. The word of God tells us that the soul that sins shall die, which means every one of us who are living souls, will face the consequences of our sin, we will die. And God's holiness will be displayed in the punishment of sin. And and this is what we don't like to hear. But we, we know this is right. All of us, every one of us, we long for justice, do we not? I am so disturbed this morning. I really do believe that no one in the Western Hemisphere cares about Africa at all. At all, we couldn't care less. They have nothing for us. Do you know, last year in Nigeria, 1,000 believers in Christ were murdered on Christmas Day. Christmas Day this year, at least 10 were beheaded by a religion of peace. And, And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Look at the news. Look at the injustice. Look at the horror. Look at the depravity of mankind and their wickedness. And we cry out, oh God, bring justice, right? Until it's me. And I don't want justice. You know what I want? Mercy. But I don't deserve mercy. Because my heart is wicked as the guy out there, the guy in here. But the Lord will execute justice. Because he is good, and some of you banking on his goodness, he is good, but a good God will not allow sin to continue because sin destroys everything. You mark it down. You, you can laugh and joke by that, but I've been here long enough on this planet And I've seen ministry long enough to know that that sin is really attractive, but I promise you this, it will never deliver what it's promised you, ever. You will be empty and not satisfied, and it will drag you to hell. There's nothing in it for you. And the Lord will execute judgment. A price must be paid, but not any price. We have sinned against an infinite, holy, eternal God. And so the sacrifice must be infinite and holy and eternal. And it can't be the blood of bulls and goats. It can't be. The Old Testament knew that. That that wasn't enough. Continually showing and covering over and over again. But it never really did take away. It it couldn't do that. Nor can any type of good work cover my sin. It, it It can't take it away, I should say. Oh, it might cover And they were looking forward to the ultimate. But it can't take it away. And because it's humanity and mankind, it must be someone human that offers the sacrifice. But you know as well as I do, no human being can offer a sacrifice of infinite value and worth. Except, maybe, if there were actually God incarnate in the flesh, who would step into our world as a man and satisfy the just demands of the holy God. Our new atheists say things like this. That's divine child abuse. How dare you say that God would make his son be tortured for people? They get it wrong. Because God didn't make his son do anything. The truth of the matter is, God, through the person of his son Jesus Christ, said, you are guilty, you deserve death, but here's what I'm going to do. I, as God, am going to step into your place. And the God from whom we need to be delivered from is the God who saves us. The greatest act of sacrificial love. So, the ultimate end of incarnation, of course, is identifying with us to save us, but there's more. Not only does that incarnation save us, but Jesus sympathizes with us. Verse number 10 For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And it's interesting, it says made perfect, and we we might tend to think, well, wasn't Jesus perfect? He was. But what he's saying is, when Jesus became flesh and blood, when he suffered, when he walked among us, all of those things that he experienced were to equip him for his calling as Savior and High Priest, to make him compassionate for us in a greater level. Captain, pioneer means one who is first, who stays at the head, or who leads. And what the writer is telling us is this. He identifies with flesh and blood ultimately to save us, but also to really sympathize. Listen to me. God knows what you're going through, not just as God. But he knows experimentally. He took upon him a body. He was made flesh and blood. He was hungry, thirsty, weary. He had Tears, pain, hurt, anxiety—he knew the limits and limitations of the flesh, just like we do. Don't you get tired? I mean, really, isn't can't life be just? Ah, uh. we've had company, or we've we, we had company for like eight days, which has been glorious. We've had our kids home, we've seen grandbabies. It's been wonderful. And the night when David and Tyler were coming home, I don't know about you, but when my kids travel, I don't sleep. So it's like, please leave at 8 in the morning so I can be okay by 8 at night and then go to bed. They don't do that. They want to travel at 4 in the morning. And so Kim was upstairs. I was downstairs. We were waiting. And they were scheduled to come somewhere around, I don't know, 1230, which was really good, 1231 o'clock. But I was so tired. I kept on doing this. (laughs) And Kim said she was upstairs, and every time she tried to fall asleep, all she would hear was, and it's that, that weariness, right? It's just, I'm exhausted, and the party hasn't even, you know, 51 isn't really great. <laughs> I'm tired before the party starts. And sometimes there's a sense where, ah, life, right? Real life in the trenches. It's hard, the limitations of flesh. He also understood the unlimited array of suffering. If you think this morning that Jesus doesn't know or understand, your situation is different, right? You're special, you're unique. No one has suffered like I have suffered. Let me just give you the short list. He was misunderstood and marginalized. He felt real injustice. Real injustice, not like, oh, I think the boss is picking on me and I never do anything wrong. Right? If that's your situation, every job you go to, chances are you might be part of the problem. Right? He suffered real injustice. He experienced ridicule and mockery. You know, I I don't know, but to be laughed at, I mean really laughed at, it's humiliating. I mean, some of you know, like, going up in school, and you're the last kid to be picked, and it's like, we don't want that guy. And everyone laughs. It's, it's really painful. Christ was mocked. Hail, King of the Jews! Mocked. He had seasons of loneliness. He was forsaken, betrayed by his closest friends. And by the way, your closest friends are probably not on Facebook. I know you have 10,000 friends on Facebook. You really don't. You're lucky if you have one. He was betrayed by his closest friends. The ones who said, we will die. We, We will die, and it wasn't just Peter. Every one of them chimed in and said, Lord, we will die with you until he's arrested and they're gone. He was humiliated to be spit upon, right? I mean, is there anything more vile that you could do to someone than to spit on them? He was smacked in the face over and over again. He was beaten with rods on his head, the pounding on his head. And then he was hung in public, naked, naked on a hill. He experienced suffering, pain, and torture. And so, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what you've been through, but I know there is one who understands. It is Jesus Christ. He has assumed our humanity to bring us to our final destiny. He saves and he sympathizes. He is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to our only wise God and Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. So, the pastor says to these people who are in fear of death, I want you to understand something, that there is one, and not just one, like someone, but Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, radically identifies with you. But there's a second thing. This same Jesus has defeated death. The one who came, who took upon flesh, who who identifies with flesh and blood like us, is the very one who has defeated death. The truth of the matter is the notion of crucifixion, right, of our Lord, is not just a scandal today. It was a scandal in the first century, I mean, they were aware of the cruelty, the pain, and the torture. For the Jew to hang on a cross, you were a curse. And for the pagan, it was sheer madness. And then to assume or associate God with the world of suffering and pain and death, that was so utterly inappropriate. How could that be? A matter of fact, this is exactly what our Muslim friends have problems with when you talk about Jesus Christ dying on a cross. They say, no, 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 no. No! How could a good prophet, a good man, God would never allow that to happen. So he switched him out with Judas. It wasn't him. But my friend, that's exactly what the God of heaven has done. His glorious saving purpose came through the death of Jesus Christ. It was not an accident. It was not a mistake. He didn't get caught in the crossfires. It was on purpose. It was planned before the foundation of the world. That Jesus Christ would conquer death by death itself. And that victory was validated by his resurrection and exaltation. The death of death and the death of Christ. It's interesting that, that phrase that talks about the devil who had power over death. What does that mean? I'm not sure all that that means. But it certainly has to mean that sin and death are always equated with each other. Right? If you sin, you die. Always together. He is a liar and the murderer from the beginning. Right? He's the one that introduced it into the garden. And the truth is, he is the great accuser that brings to mind everything we have done that bears on our conscience, that we're going to face eternity, that our sins are real, and it haunts every aspect of human life from beginning to end. That I'm a sinner. I have sins. I'm going to face a holy God. But here's the deal: Jesus Christ died to remove all of my sins, all of them. So, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. And not because of my goodness, but because of Jesus Christ and his death for me. By the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ, I am free and full of hope in the face of death. I don't know what your phobias are. Some people have weird ones right? They're weird. My wife forever has been terrified of bees. Anybody terrified of bees, wasps, hornets? They get crazy toward the end of the year, right? right? They're terrifying. I, I forgot how bad stings hurt until you get stung again. It's like, oh, that really hurts. Really hurts. And if you're allergic, it hurts so bad your head looks like a, a big marshmallow, right? It's just not good. And she's terrified of them. And the Bible tells us that death has a sting, a sting that hurts. But if you were to take a wasp or a bee and pull out its stinger, you'd probably die, I think. Some of them wouldn't, but some would. But you still might not like that bee, and you might be troubled by it, but it can't hurt you at all. And here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus Christ died so that that fear of death can never ever hurt the believer, ever, ever. So what do we do with this text? Let me give you three quick things, and they are quick. Number one, this morning we need not ignore the fact of death. It is appointed to men once to die. Death is real. Death will happen. and It will happen to you. I have done more funerals over the last 30 years than I would have ever imagined, and this thought always crosses my mind as I'm standing above a a casket proclaiming a message and I always think this, someday I will not be proclaiming the message. I will be there, and you will be there, and that's the reality of a broken world, death Is real. And so we no longer have to evade this reality by filling our minds with busyness and stuff. Christian. Christian. We live life that we just fill our minds and never think about what's coming, and it is coming. And you want to just fill it with stuff and entertainment and numb your mind and numb your thoughts and keep pushing it back to the back. Don't do that. It is coming. You don't have to do that. Um, It is real. It is a reality. Don't numb your minds. It has no sting anymore. The truth is, death for us ushers us into glory. Glory. And so, we need not ignore the fact. But we must be ready, because we will face God. Without Christ, you will stand before the, the judge of the great white throne, And the books will be open, And if your name's not there, you will be lost forever. But Christian, there's coming a day that we're going to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And not for our sins. Our sins are covered. But for what we've done. So this is Christmas. What have you done? So, as we reflect for last year, can I just simply ask you, believer in Christ, who he identifies with us radically. He took on flesh and blood to save us, to sympathize. He's conquered death. What have we done for the kingdom of Christ last year? Anything? And I'm not talking about preaching messages. I'm talking about in your marriage, in your home, with your children, at your place of work, with your neighbors. Is your light shining in such a way that people say, Hey, there's something going on with that individual. That man or that woman, they're different. They're living for something bigger than themselves. And if you look back at this year and say, man, I blew it. I can't think of anything, which would be tragic. Then you have a new year. And his mercies are new every day. And so what are you going to do this year? What will change in your life as a man, a woman, parent, a spouse, a coworker, a neighbor for the cause of Christ. We need not ignore the fact of death. Number two, we're not alone. Um, listen to me. The church is glorious. And I want you to know something. It doesn't matter what you've suffered through. I promise you, there is someone in this room who has suffered through or is suffering through or has come through the very same thing. You lost a parent, a spouse, a child. People in this room who have done, lost all three of those things. You, you've suffered, you've been in severe pain or chronic pain that never goes away. I could give you a list of people in this room who do that every day. You have suffered real injustice and abuse, and things that happen to you that should have never happened to any human being, I can tell you, those people are in this room. The church is glorious. And here's why it's glorious. Because they become 2 Corinthians chapter 1 kind of believers who the God of all comfort has comforted them in all their tribulation so that they can comfort other people by the comfort he gave them. It's glorious. Don't neglect the church, my brother, sister. It's important. We are not alone. But as glorious as the church is, Christ is greater. Because the one who gives the comfort is him. It's, it's never the people who are giving it to you. They're giving to you what they received from him. Christ is greater. We have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity, and who in all points were tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, which is an amazing term, a throne of grace, that we can find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Brother or sister, listen, as you suffer, you are not alone. You have a church family, but you have something greater than the glorious church. It is Jesus Christ Who identifies with you? With you. We need not ignore the fact of death, but we must be ready. We are not alone. We have the church, but greater than that, we have Christ. And now, finally, we have hope beyond the grave. We, as believers in Christ, as we end this year, as we grieve, reflect, as we think about the new one, we have hope beyond the grave for right now. For right now. Listen to me. We live in a world and in a Christianity that's weird in our culture that tries to tell people, if you suffer, it's because of your lack of faith. If you suffer, God is punishing you. Listen to me. There are sometimes we suffer because we have sinned. But the truth of the matter, that is not always the case. And our God allows suffering in this fallen, broken world. But here's the great thing. He doesn't waste anything. He redeems everything. And he is not trying to punish you. He is trying to purify you. And so we have hope right now that even in our situation, this God of ours is up to something. And here's the truth, and you know this. There are people who walk deeply with the Lord. They know him in a way that we can't comprehend, but I promise you for every one of them, they've been through some deep waters. They've been through some pain and suffering. They have been down paths that you would not want to go down. But here's what happens. They go down that, and the water doesn't overflow them because he's walking with them. The fire does not kindle upon them. They shall not be burned. Why? Because God knows them by name and has redeemed them and doesn't leave them. We have hope for now. We have hope for the future. The verses that were read this morning. Believer, there is coming a day no more tears, none, no crying, no pain, no suffering. Isaiah says, those former days will not be remembered anymore. There's coming a day, we'll be in glory and we'll be walking down the streets of gold saying, what did, what did we call that back, I think it was cancer, maybe it was leukemia, I, I, don't, I don't remember, but it really doesn't matter, because we are in the presence of our king. And there's hope for our family and friends. Because in the Christian faith, we will meet again. There was something, and this comes around every about 10 years or so, that people try to figure out, what do we look like in heaven? And when I was a kid, this is the most bizarre thing, and maybe you've heard this, but they said, everyone in heaven will look like a 33-year-old man. Have you heard that? (laughs) That is freaky weird! Weird! My grandma Emily, when I see her in glory, will be a 33-year-old man? That would, that's weird. That is weird. Quit it. Quit saying that nonsense. We know we'll have a different body. It will be a glorified body. But I must remind you, when Moses and Elijah came back, they knew who they were wasn't like, you look like a 33-year-old man. No, it was Moses and Elijah. And my mother and my grandmother and my wife and my granddaughters will not be 33-year-old men. That's freaky weird. But I tell you this. We will know them. And we will touch them. And hug them. And feel them. And love them. They will have bodies. And because Christ is risen, We too shall rise again. He came out of the tomb with a body to tell us, I've walked through, and as I am, you will be someday. And so this morning, let me encourage you, church. Let me encourage you, brother and sister. We have a Savior who radically identifies with us. He knows. He knows all about it. He's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, burned it. He's done it all. And this one has conquered death. Have no fear. It holds no sway over us. As God's children, it is to usher us in into his glorious presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I know there are people who suffer and struggle today. I know this is a time of the year that's difficult for many. And Lord, we will all be there. And I thank you that you've not left us on our own, that that we can go to your word, that you can encourage us and, and instruct us and give us great hope. And so I pray today that that would be exactly what's been accomplished. I pray that your word would sink deep into our hearts and minds and that we would not soon forget what we've heard this morning. Lord, for those who do not know you today, help them to understand that we're not talking about being Baptist or any religion. We're talking about coming into a saving knowledge of Christ repenting and believing in him, trusting in Christ and Christ alone, giving him the wrecks of our life so that he can manage us and bring us back into right relationship with the Father. So, if there's one here without him today, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that their eyes would be open, Lord, they'd ask the questions, they'd seek someone out this morning, and they'd call upon your name. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to understand that you loved us so much that you radically identify with us. You call us your brothers and sisters, your children. Oh, God, what a great thought that is. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that this morning that death has no power over us anymore. Because he lives, we shall live as well. So give us great hope and comfort and encouragement in those thoughts we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.